Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Zach, I cut myself shaving. This morning, this beautiful, handsome face. Really? Right there, that little, yeah, and it got infected. It smarts. It, it smarts off. a little bit like my portfolio. Uh, but but you know what? It's recoverable. <laughs> Unlike some of those pie charts. So bonds last year had the worst year ever. Yeah. But they've been keeping records uh, for 97 or 98 years. And stocks really took it on the chin, too. Mm. And, and, and so it really hurt last year, 2023, for most people especially if they bought and hold and didn't get defensive. Um, but, but what's in store for 2023? That's really the, the, the million-dollar question. Now, nobody really knows for sure. So how are you going to handle 2023 when you're getting all these forecasts and prognostications about the end is near or we're going to have a huge rally? And it, they're just all over the board. So you really don't know what to do. We're going to dive into that and to tell you how we're going to handle it and what we're going to do and how we want to participate. And then what's the status of crypto? What is the status is, of crypto? Uh, is it dead or is it going to recover? Ooh, and, 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 I mean, did SBF kill it? Mm. Now, and there's articles that I put them, I don't want to dive too deep because there's a whole bunch of articles on the uh, uh, show list that I sent you uh, from you know, crypto's being a scam. Yeah, lots in the description to, to the global crypto standards, the global crypto standards, which are the standards for kind of the exchanges, the regulation, the rules. And it's, it's quite detailed, so I'm not going to dive into that. But if you want that, that's like a 10-page article, very detailed, if you know. But speaking of dead, if you do own crypto, do you need a special crypto estate plan? Actually, the answer is yes. Oh, really? So not only did you get kicked in the teeth and then kicked in their backside (laughs) and then run over if you had crypto, but now you also got to go pay an attorney to get a decent estate plan so that it transfers correctly. And really, here's the main thing, folks. The main thing you need to know is you need to have your, and there's another article on that. You can read it, but you need to, to, to let your heirs know where that crypto dropbox, you know, where that where that key is. Yeah. Without the key, you can't get in. Yes. Right? And they're also uh, saying that you should keep it, you know, like on a flash drive. You don't really want to keep it online and, and, and stuff like that. And then our 529s, the new backdoor Roth. Mm. The new Secure Act 2.0 made some different rules. And we'll talk about that real quick. And um, what are most advisors concerned with in 2023? Well, let's just hit that real quick. Yeah, yeah. Right now, where is that That's number one? Because this is quick. Number one, inflation, 33%. Asset preservation, 15.2%. Interest rates, 143 You know, the interest rates and inflation kind of go together, I think. But that's about 40 45%. Market growth, 10, 11% rounding. Geopolitical risk, 10% rounding, income generation, 7%, and diversification, managing correlation risk, only 6.4. Only 6.4. So only 6.4. What that means, folks, is that's why your, your, your portfolio, if you had a pie chart, buy and hold, you got slaughtered and were down anywhere from 20 to 30% last year, depending, 
and if you were lean more toward the growthy uh, uh, pie chart portfolio and you bought and hold, you were down more than that. I mean, the leading stocks from the last cycle, a lot of them were down way over 50%. So, but here's what I don't understand. These guys don't realize that the diversification story, when it goes down, all the correlations grow together and it all goes down together. So why wouldn't you have more worry about the diversification and managing correlation risk when you got slaughtered with both stocks and bonds last year? 60-40, the balanced portfolio didn't work, didn't work at all. So I would think that would be a little bit higher, but what do I know? What do I know? All right, now, let's talk about, oh, and then we're going to get to the mailbag, but let's talk about very quickly this 529. Folks, it is a very tough market right now. It keeps faking, doing these head fakes. And so people are getting very frustrated. That's understandable. That's, that's, that actually marks a bottoming process. I'm not saying we're at the bottom. What? We could have another leg down. Okay. Sure. But, at the, but, but near at, near, or off the bottom is when investors become the most frustrated. So actually, that's, a, that's kind of a, a bullish sign as far as looking out on the horizon. I know that's counterintuitive, but, you know, Warren Buffett, uh, my favorite lobbyist hack. Um, uh, well, he's, you know, I, he, he's a good guy, whatever. I'm not going to go to that, but I just think he's disingenuous. He plays that good old boy, uh, Nebraska farm boy really well, but he's actually very shrewd and ruthless businessman. The good ones are. Uh, with inside information with Congress, in my opinion, I mean, with the politicians. But, 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 um, um, you know, he was the one that has said uh, that you want to, uh, sell when people are bragging at cocktail parties how much money they made and you want to buy when there's blood in the streets. You've heard that story, right? I think I've heard that. So anyway, now, 529 plans, are they the new black to- backdoor Roth? So this new Secure Act 2021 said now the new capability for owners of 529 plans to roll out the unused money into a Roth IRA. So now you can do a Roth conversion or a Roth, it's not really, I don't even think it's a conversion, is it? I think it's just you can roll it directly in there so it's not even taxable. But you can put the money into the Roth. I'll have to double check that conversion part, whether it's taxable at that point. But you can put the unused Roth. So if you've got a 529 plan and your kid's got, you know, you've done it over the years, grandma and grandpa put in money and you got in, you know, 120000 or whatever, kid only uses eighty. now you got forty. Oh, but there's a catch. The limit is $35,000 per beneficiary. Mm. Now, how do we know Congress is incredibly stupid? I'm going to tell you. We're waiting. <laughs> because at first blush. It could take a while. The, yeah. the first blush. <laughs> yeah. A war and peace novel. Yeah. Um, the, first, the, the owner of a 529 plan that held more than 35 in unneeded assets could theoretically change the beneficiary multiple times times and do a series of 529 rollovers for the $35,000 maximum. Folks, let me explain that in plain English. So on your 529 plan, people were opening up multiple ones because they, they were saying, well, if you, if you don't use it for Jimmy, you can transfer it to Betty when, when Jimmy's gone and done from college. You can put it to your second child or your third child, and they can use it for college. Yeah. So what, they, what they're saying, because there's, there's not a lot of clarity yet, they haven't caught up with the, with the rules. You could actually have $70,000 in there, have one beneficiary named, roll out $35,000, then name it to one of your other kids, and then roll that out, $35,000. So we'll see if they correct that. But, folks, what that also means is planning going forward. If you are going to do a 529 plan, which I'm not recommending, I'm just saying, they've got some structural problems in my opinion. But open up a couple different 529 plans with different beneficiaries, one child and the other child, don't, you know, don't super fund one. That way it'll make you more flexible in case they do change the rules. So you can't change, simply change the beneficiary on one single 529 account. Okay. All right. Now, next one, could bonds be the next? Did I bring that up? Did I say are bonds the answer? Oh, well, this high, I stopped. That was one of my other headlines because I stopped when I talked about what are advisors most concerned about. All right, this is a guy talking about why bonds could be the answer. And by the way, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. 
because the charts seem to be looking up. Don will tell you about that. And, and, and folks, by the way, we're not a one-trick pony. We don't do just all-grow stuff. A lot of people believe that. We've had gold. We've had big blue-chip energy stocks. We've had other things. And we've had bonds before. But while interest rates were rising and, and inflation was raging, we didn't own any bonds. Why? Because they had their worst year ever in 100 years. It's a clunky year for bonds. Okay, but now that you've had that big washout, is it time, and especially if the Fed stops raising rates? So the fundamental structural things and the interest rate cycle are all aligning to actually be setting up for bonds. Now, what this guy is saying is he's talking about fallen angels, and that's a little tricky. Fallen angel is an investment-grade bond that falls from grace. The analysts say, you know what, your stuff is going down a little bit, and so they, they get downgraded to the highest level of, of junk or high yield, and and um, but they have a higher yield. And he's basically saying you either want to do fallen angels or high yield bonds, junk bonds, right? And then from there, because um, they'll have a higher yield, you, you, you'll get a good. Now, this guy's also kind of assuming that we're probably going to get a fairly soft landing. See, high yield bonds are great. They act a little bit like bonds, but they can also act like stocks. So when we get really bullish in the market, things go up. And some of these are even convertible into equity. They act a little bit more like stocks. When the market is, cra- when the economy is getting really, really tough in recession, they start trading like stocks because people are worried they won't be able to pay back the principal. So high yield, and the way you know that is the spread between high yield and investment grade or treasury bonds. When that, when that spread is narrow, there's not a lot of premium for the high yield. That means risk. People don't see the risk of a lot of default. So they're willing to invest and take a chance in those higher yielding bonds. And when more people buy in, it pushes the yield down and the price up. Okay. When people are getting scared, that yield will widen considerably. And that's how you know that people are getting more risk averse. Okay. You follow me on that, Zach? I know these guys got it. I'm keeping up. Okay. Uh, well, if you're keeping up, then, I'm then I think our, our, yeah, yeah. our non-stock nerd listener can follow it. So, <laughs> so in any event, are bonds going to be the place to be? That, that's going to be. And, and so if bonds look up, we will actually uh, uh, take a position in bonds. Uh, so, Zach, do you know what the difference between a high-yield bond and a junk bond is? No. Nothing. A junk bond (laughs) is when, see, when you go to a broker, in in the brokerage business, when the brokerage business, it's not about the investment business, it's about the changing of the investment business. They got to sell everything you transferred in and buy all their funds so they get paid on those. Okay? So so when you come in and you've got a portfolio and he needs you to sell that stuff so he can put you in his stuff, he calls them junk bonds because that sounds risky. Right, but if he's trying to sell it to you, boy, those are high yield bonds. Those are beautiful, man. Let's bit, put some it? lipstick on that pig, some earrings, maybe a choker, you know. So, so in any event, folks, it doesn't matter whether it's high yield. It doesn't matter if it's junk bonds. It doesn't even matter if it's investment grade or treasuries. The question is: Are interest rates peaking and likely to stop rising? Is inflation starting to subside? And if we are going into recession, especially a softer one, that's the time that you'd want to go into bonds. The stocks will struggle a little bit or could struggle. They may not necessarily, they may rally, but that's how you know. So Don, you want to jump in? I know you got a a treasury bond uh, chart sitting there, so I know you're dying to, to, to chime in. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? Dying to make a comment, Dan. That's right. You know how we uh, we don't diversify into uh, downtrending charts just for the sake of diversification at Revere. I, I liken it to trying to eat a balanced diet, but you go to the grocery store and all the vegetables are rotten, but you buy them anyway because you got to have vegetables to have a balanced diet. <laughs> no, don't do that. And don't buy bonds when they're in a downtrend. But the trend... Uh, starting in November for bonds has started to change from a downtrend to at least an intermediate term uptrend. And a lot of that is based on uh, the uh, the inflation fear somewhat being 
somewhat being dissipated with the data that started coming out from the Fed. So you can see the long downtrend of TLT. Uh, it peaked in December of 2021. Here's a comparison chart for the full year of 2022 TLT. This is the long-term bond down 32.82%. So I'm going to put a couple of other uh, bond indexes on here, but first I'm going to put the S&P 500 on here because, again, what we try to do or, or what the uh, what the the standard answer from Wall Street is, is you got to properly diversify. But again, diversifying into uh, downtrending charts doesn't do anything. So there's the S&P 500 down 19.4%. Uh, bonds are supposed to shield your downtrend, right? Well, TLT down 33%. BND, this is a most likely if you were in a pie chart, you would be in this ETF. This is a broad bond ETF down 15%. Uh, if you went out into the world and included some world bonds, and this is the ETF that we use for uh, the 60-40 statistic that we put every night in the video, that was down 14.5%. Well, how about uh, corporate bonds? Uh, LQD is a corporate bond index down 20.4%. Uh, how about junk bonds, like you mentioned? Uh, they act like stocks. They were down 17.1%. So really, there was nowhere to hide in bonds but let's get back to a more recent picture uh, of those indexes here's the tlt as i said it put in a bottom uh, in late october started trending higher uh, in november uh, let's bring up a broad bond index here uh, actually of this week the 200 day moving average for the first time since december of 2021 uh, junk bonds is there a fear in the credit market, no, junk bonds are acting just fine above the 200-day moving average. How about corporate bonds? Are we scared there because they're all corporations and uh, we see a recession coming? No, uh, investment-grade bonds are above the 200-day moving average also. And then uh, I showed TLT, which has certainly been improving. So we are uh, weighing our options for diversify. We actually already started doing this for accounts that we manage that are just 401ks that only have um, ETF options or mutual fund options. We've already started uh, adding some bond allocation to that, but we're looking to add more for some of the protection clients also, uh, possible small allocation to bonds. What we did do uh, for protection clients is go into uh, short-term T-bills over the last few months, which uh, we're able to, instead of just a money market paying pennies on the dollar, not even a penny on the dollar, fractions of a penny on the dollar, let's say that, uh, we've been able to get a yield of between three and a half and 4% uh, on T-bills. Now T-bills, meaning you buy them below par or below the face value and on their maturation date, they are uh, they reach face value. So if face value is 100, when you buy it, you might be at 99.65 and little by little it ticks up and when it matures, you're at $100. So uh, there's no risk in the chart that way. In fact, if you own those while bonds were in a downtrend, losing uh, your money if you were invested in individual bonds that had a maturity date, uh, a fixed maturity date. Because really, if you're diversified into bonds here using one of those bond indexes, what you're doing is losing because the net asset value of the bond ETF is going down as interest rates go up and mention the inverse correlation there. But again, that stopped in November. Uh, we started getting first, we got back above the 21 day. This is how uptrends work across various timeframes. Then we get above the 50 day. Now we're working on getting above the 200 day, meaning the long-term trend uh, is back positive for bond ETFs, very similar to bond mutual funds uh, that would work the same way, that would have the same investment uh, crisis or investment theory, whether they're it's broadly diversified or corporate or whatever, but bonds absolutely looking better is the bottom line. Yep, no, they actually are shaping up. All right, so let's, we're gonna hit the mailbag very quick. There is one other article, it's kind of, I didn't, it's, it's, it's boring to me because I've been following this for so long, for uh -huh. years. But the financial services industry is lobbying the Department of Labor because this this they're coming out with these new rules and they're worried about these duly registered advisors. They're really broke. They work on commission too. 
And these new rules are trying to force these brokers to be advisors with no conflicts of interest. You can't be a broker and not have a conflict of interest. It's impossible. And so they're kind of forcing these these old brokers to either retire or change your business model. Mm. First of all, I think it's a flawed business model. I don't like it. That's why I became a fee-based only fiduciary, like clear back in the late 90s when, you know, early on. But but that was the accepted, the broker model was the accepted model for decades. And in my opinion, it's not really fair to all of a sudden just screw these guys, kick these guys out or these girls. I think they ought to phase that in. But that's just an interesting article to read. All right, now to the mailbag. And this is going to be long because we actually got quite a few very, very good questions. And folks, if you've got any questions or comments or you want a topic discussed or a stock you're looking at or just anything, uh, you can email me, dan at revereasset.com, and I will make sure I get it in the mail back. All right. So, hi, Dan and Don. Like many others, I've been following your analysis since Don's interview with Richard Moglin. If you haven't seen that, go get it or email me and I'll send it to you. It's a great article. Great video um, and greatly benefiting from it. On this week's podcast, last week, Dan mentioned he's allocating to bonds and 401k accounts where he's limited to mutual funds. Can you comment on the way you're expressing your bonds thesis here? I'm in a similar situation and have added exposure to short duration bond mutual funds in the last month, but I'm also earning 3.9% on my cash, so I've been hesitant to move away from this risk-free return on my equity positions. Thanks, guys. S. S. First, thanks for watching our content and glad you enjoy. Regarding the 401ks, they all have, uh, regarding 401ks, they all have equity indexes and either bond indexes or bond funds or bond sectors, high yield, investment grade, corporate, treasury, etc. So each 401k is slightly different and nuanced. But with 401ks, we either increase the exposure using the mutual funds provided, and this is if they do not have a self-directed brokerage option, which some employees do, but the employees are completely unaware. As far as yields go, for fully managed accounts, we have been using Uber short-term T-bills, that's what Don just mentioned, paying around 4%, uh, 4%. Uh, annualized, so you got to keep rolling them, but they're only a month out. They they mature within a month. But with 401ks, it all depends on their specific choices if they don't have self-directed brokerage. If they do have self-directed brokerage, you could use the T-bills that we're doing. If they do not, you need to use whatever choices they are available and reverse engineer with the bond fund options available. So without looking at your choices, I cannot give you good advice specific to you. Thanks, Dan. Yes, that 3.9 you're getting is cash. Oh, uh, I think this was done. That 3.9 yield you're getting is, is cash is pretty attractive. I'd say you're fine. I, I'd say you're fine if you stick with that and not risk possible downside of a bond mutual fund. We'll explain that in a minute. Don, don't let me forget. Uh, uh, then I chimed in. Agreed. For outside 401ks, if not longer term or without any surrender. So I agree on the 401ks if, if if they're not longer term or without any surrender penalties. And then Don said, I was assuming that was inside your 401k. He answered back, Don is correct. 3.9 is inside my 401k, either in a fixed fund, a guaranteed investment contract or stable value. Then I'd use, then I'd use, this is me, I'd use the bond, um, then I'd use that instead of the bond mutual fund. So Don is correct. All right. He said, thanks, guys. Yes, through Fidelity, I have a self-directed brokerage option, but I can only choose a variety of mutual funds. And he does have this special Fidelity cash reserves if you have enough money in there. Um, he said, I was able to navigate through last year with only a 13% max drawdown. Uh, drawdown, thanks in part to your content. I'm still 40% cash, but scaling back into equities uh, in this 401k. And my interest was peaked when you mentioned the bond allocation this week. Thanks. So this is me kind of explaining it and also for your listeners' benefit. If you have brokerage link, you well, not always. I need to clarify this. I thought he did. You can do individual stocks. We manage quite a few brokerage link uh, 401ks with the Grotex and strategy. 
But if you can also do individual T-bills, you can roll them weekly and ladder like we're, like we're doing. Dan, unfortunately, my employer limits our options to mutual funds, so I can't really manage risk the way I otherwise would, and I have to deal with the dreaded 30-day excessive trading policy. Thanks, S. Me. Yep, we deal with that. These two, unfortunately, we need to keep a spreadsheet and work around the rules they give you within your respective 401k and possibly use longer term, meaning midterm, technical indicators. So, folks, on these 401ks, you can have the full-blown self-directed brokerage option where you can do individual stocks or, or ETFs or whatever you want. Then they can say, or we'll give you full brokerage, but instead of the 12 pre-selected mutual funds that we've selected that we like, and we may or may not get a sharing ratio with to help offset the cost of the 401k plan, we'll open it up to all the funds on the Fidelity platform or certain funds. So if you have self-directed brokerage, you could either have individual stocks, in fact, at Revere here, because all my guys, were professionals and we know how to manage money. They can even do options in their 401k if they want, right? I'm not trying to protect the client, and these guys know what they're doing, so they, they, I've allowed them that freedom, right? So 401ks can actually own anything from physical gold to real estate to individual stocks. The sky's the limit. But because the employer's on the hook and a little scared, they're going to try to whittle it down to like 12, 15 funds, but lately they've started to open it up. So the first thing you need to do if you have a 401k, number one, rule out that you do not have a self-directed brokerage option. If you do, there's a cheaper way to invest and go with a plethora of more options. Now, you may even be able to short in there using a short-selling ETF in an ugly market, or at least hedge the stocks you have. Okay? If you do, and then if you have self-directed brokerage, find out what the options are. Is it stocks or is it just mutual funds? Okay? If you don't have self-directed brokerage, then you want to look at the mutual fund choices you have and or any restrictions you have on it. And from there, you figure out the strategy. Because 401ks can be clumsy. Folks, that is very complicated. In fact, the ERISA part of the tax code is the thickest part of the tax code by far. It's four feet thick. Um, um, and that's why the ERISA attorneys make about six, $700 an hour. Um, so if you've got any questions on that, just email me, dan at revereasset.com, and I'll, I can go over your choices. Okay, new one. <clears throat> Good morning, Dan and Don. This is Monday the 16th. I'm curious if you ever use the weekly MAs for entries and exits. I know Tim was a big proponent of buying on the weekly 5-8 cross, the 5 exponential, 8 exponential cross. Hammered this home over and over. Looking at TMDX when we had that quick pullback this month. The weekly chart reveals that we pulled back right down to the 20 simple moving average on the weekly and then had a nice bounce. The same happened in early October. I also noticed that the MACD crossed back in early March and the stock has been on fire ever since. Similar conditions apply to ELF also as it has had a nice pullback to the 20 weekly 20 or close simple moving average on January 12th and then bounced. I got stopped out on both of these. I am trying to look at longer time frames because I tend to lose the forest through the trees more often than not, and I am working outside the house, meaning I can't pay attention to it intraday. I need to trade longer time frames. Right now, I'm watching IMND. I brought this up to Don before. We would be, in, I would be interested to have your guys revisit this or maybe one of the new guys can do some research. I own the stock at $33 a share back in 2020 when it came up in this new America section of the IBD newspaper. It ran all the way to 99. I missed the move. And it has now come back down to 32. Ouch. I do know that if the stock, I, do, I don't know if the stock is broken. I think they have good fundamentals. Trading above the 200-day simple moving average, $31 a share, and they report earnings on 214. Thank you, CK. Hi, CK. I, this is Don. INMD was discussed internally by the team over the past two weeks as a promising setup. 
It failed miserably this past Wednesday, the 11th, okay, on huge volume, then followed through to the downside on Thursday and Friday, despite raising guidance. Fundamentals are a lagging indicator and will always look best at the top. As O'Neill said, buy on the fundamentals and technicals, but only sell on the technicals. I can emphatically tell you that the 5-8 weekly cross is no holy grail. In a bear market, weekly charts will get you crushed as the tendency is to close the week near the bottom of the range. Just as the tendency in a bull market is to close the week near the top of the range. (laughs) That's one of the kind of that helps define a bull or bear market. Hmm. In a bull market, weekly charts absolutely can help you keep in the stock, meaning not get you shaken out with daily, intra, you know, with the noise, and they avoid intraday noise. All systems must be used in the proper context of the overall market, bullish, sideways, or bearish. Bullish setups in a bear market are more failure prone. I added the more in there, are failure prone. In bear markets, the only successful approach is to sell strength and buy weakness at support. Thanks for reaching out, Don. Um, uh, then CK on Tuesday the 17th. INMD up 6% today. Could be a run-up into earnings. We shall see. I've got a small position on, uh, and Don said, excellent, congrats. So uh, any comments on that, Don? And then how well did that INMD age? Two comments. Sure. Uh, Zach, can you show the charts? Absolutely. Okay, this, uh, the sixth, was when it broke above this uh, tight consolidation and we started putting it at least on our internal watch list. Uh, But what happened in the subsequent days was uh, it gave back that move, it bounced where it was supposed to, and then that day that it supposedly upped guidance, it was down 9.6% on 416% volume. This just... This is a classic O'Neill high volume break of the 50-day moving average, and it's a sell rule. We go to the 60-minute chart. You can see this is the day that we uh, started discussing it. It broke above or at least into uh, the top of this recent range. Correct, we're in a bear market, and selling strength is, is more the way to go. But I've detailed in videos since the first that breakouts breakouts have been working better. They pulled back recently in a couple days. They're back uh, reclaiming some gains today, Uh, but it's still a tenuous market since we broke back below the 200-day moving average earlier this week. So this was the day that InMode gave the guidance and gave it all back, and then, or, or no, it actually wasn't it gave it back, but this was the day when they gave that guidance out and it broke it all back. Then you can see the bounce up here, to 36, but what does that coincide with? That coincides with the previous levels that were acting as support and have now turned to resistance. The 50-day moving average, the 21-day moving average, it bounced up into there. That's a classic uh, bounce up after a high volume sell-off and it should have been sold there because it's back into resistance. So this is uh, this is a broken stock to me right now. It's still above the 200-day moving average, but We don't own things that are below the 21 and the 50-day moving average uh, when we're trying to identify leaders. This just plain and simple isn't a leader uh, if it's acting that way. If you look at it from a technical standpoint, the three-month relative strength is a 12. That means 88% of all of the stocks in the entire market are acting better than this. Uh, On a six-month basis, it's a 35, which means 65% of all the stocks in the market are uh, outperforming it. And on a 12-month basis, the relative strength is a 61, which is still fine, but lately it's been a laggard and we want leaders, not laggards. There are a lot of medical type stocks that are acting very well, uh, and this isn't one of them. It tried to break out here, the breakout failed. When the breakout fails, you can't hold on to hope, such as saying maybe it'll run into earnings. Well, maybe it won't. Um, we, we look for, um, we look for leaders, and this isn't one, plain and simple. At the moment, and that, that could change later. At so, the moment, sure, it could always change. But yeah. but you we go based on the evidence that is presented to us at the time. Sure, sure. So, folks, just because you've got the N and can slim, you've got the new, you've got the story, the, the chart, the technicals have to confirm the story. 
And so, and there can be time frames that it does and time frames that it doesn't. So, and that's what Don's saying. Right now, this stock is broken. And speaking of medical, the final mailbag, Dear Team Revere. I like this guy. This guy's a listener because we went from Revere team to Team Revere instead yeah. of the Revere team. Uh-huh. I like this. All right, Dr. Mark, thank you. Uh, Dear Team Revere, mailbag. He's actually clarifying for me to make sure I get it in the mailbag. Um, if you need a week to research, that is fine. If you believe that we are in the second inning of a drug therapy for obesity and it's going to be a mega market for big pharma, how would you invest? It's just the big three. Is it just the big three or are there smaller companies that would profit? Hope to hear from Ted or Michael on the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Mark. Wow. One thing I'd like to say real quick before I throw it over, Dr. Mark. You are right. We are fat as hell, and we are, we are like the most obese uh, country in the world, but I'm doing my part, man. I've dropped 25 pounds. Wow. I'm looking good. And bragging about it. And it's show. without the big it. pharma yeah. therapy. It's without the big pharma therapy, so take that, Pfizer. That's right. All right. What, so, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? What have you been doing, Dan? Have you been working out or uh, you actually, been starving yourself or actually, what have you been doing? Well, kind of start. Well, actually, I just have made it a point to eat healthier. But I also, you know, I was a professional athlete. And so, you know, years ago, I mean, I could eat four. I'd eat like at midnight right before I went to bed. And yeah, I, couldn't, sure. I couldn't gain a pound. I could not keep, you know. Right. And, I, and I'd lose eight pounds during a match and I'd gain water weight and I'd gain it right back. And anyway. I just never gained weight. Well, when I started doing this business slowly over time, I'd start gaining because I was, so what I do is I only eat uh, three meals a day. If that, sometimes I'll skip a meal, but, but I also don't gorge myself. I eat slower and I only eat about half to two thirds as much as I used to. And you know what? I'm still just full. I just, I would eat too fast and then I'd be full and feel tired. So I'd really just kind of change my eating habits. Not as much as my diet. So it was, huh. it was the volume of consumption. And my next goal, Don is to yes, go start working out more. Thank you for Yay. pointing out my frailties. All right, well, let's, let's throw it over to Don. I'll let you lead. Which, which, which uh, analyst do you want to go to, to look at this? Let's go with, uh, let's go over to Teddy bear first and uh, see what he's got for us. So in my, this is the five, uh, five, five, this is the five, 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 uh, um, the five at five at five segment. Five, yeah. I know it was a bunch five, of it's not five, but each of our, uh, three awesome analysts have five stocks to present. Three at five. So, oh, nice. so before I talk about my segment with regards to Dr. Siegel's question, I, I believe Michael and I are going to take a look at the sector and from a high level overview. It seems that it is a duopoly between NVO and Lil- Eli Lilly. So but we'll take a look and see if there are smaller companies that are also in the obesity space. Okay, that, so, so so we're gonna we'll come back to that later. Is that next yeah, week? We'll we'll come do, back. Okay. Yeah, next okay. week. Okay. No, we'll, we'll yeah, folks, he he just sent this email to me yesterday yesterday evening. So we didn't really have a time to yeah. do a deep dive. And he did say in his email, just let you know, you can wait till next week. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And then so with for my segment. Um, I just wanted to comment that as the markets are pulling back after this recent thrust up, it's it, it's become clear like what the relative strength stocks are and themes are. And as Don mentioned before, he assigned me, Connor, and Michael um, sectors to track at a deeper level. And so the sector that I want, or the industry group that I want to talk about today as showing significant relative strength are some of the semiconductor stocks. Um, there's a basket of them that are acting very well. And so once we identify which which stocks are the ones um, bending, like bending against the market, resisting the decline? That is what we want to get on as the market turns up at low risk entry points. And so, in the recent market, in the in the recent pullback, uh, four of these stocks have broken out and now are pulling back a little bit. And the first one is ACLS. And as I go through these, they're all they're above all their key moving averages and still acting fine. And so just keep it on your watch list. Um, the second one is RMBS. Once again, broke out 
Um, I definitely would like to see digestion before breaking out. So this pullback might give it a chance to just calm down for a little bit and go sideways. Um, the third one is AEHR. Same story here, premature um, breakout, just ran up the right side. Digestion is definitely healthier, which is what we're getting now. Um, and same we, thing. We own this one in protections. Um, and then PI is the fourth one. Same thing, broke out and back into its base. Um, just want to see this one digest its recent gains. And so the fifth one poked its head out and got hammered back down into, into its handle. It's a little ominous, but it's fine because again, like I said before, we want to see more digestion on the right side of its bases. Uh, to tighten up and prevent pre present a lower risk entry point. And ALGM is the is this one I'm talking about. ALGM is in Mary. M yeah M is in Mary. Yeah. So as you guys can see in all these semiconductor stocks. Um, we're seeing significant relative strength. We're seeing base building, which is healthy. Uh, four of those broke out, ran up the right side. It may be a little premature, but this recent market pullback gives it gives them a chance to and build out that right side. Um, you can notice that the relative strength line has been trending up for the last four to five months, or even more, and that is a good that that is a good sign for stocks that we want to hop on board if. We did bottom, and if we are turning out, and that's my section. All right, five semiconductors. One of the uh, they're a little on the thin side. We which would mean we would be limited in the position size that we had to take if we got them uh, into portfolios. But we do, as I said, own AEHR right now. It's a volatile one, but again, uh, that's that's uh, why we keep uh, position size small to account for that. Connor, uh, you've got five, and they're probably not all good charts based on our uh, pregame, so take it away. Yeah, so it's a little different than what I'm normally doing. I wanted to highlight five stocks in my sector that some bad news that has recently came out showing some warning signs and um, not looking the best. So the first one I wanted to highlight is uh, CELH. Now this is one that I really liked in the past. I love the story. Um, I, I like their growth and whatnot, but recently it's it's not acting like a leader. It just broke below the 821 and the 50, although it still is above the 20. Um, and there's been big news this week, actually. Florida just recently won an $82 million lawsuit. And <laughs> What the lawsuit was for was um, Celsius basically breached the contract that they had. So they agreed to to pay Florida um, ro royalties on cases being sold and to increase his stock compensation and options as the company grew. And Florida helped the company a lot. He, um, he brought a lot of eyes to the drink, to the business, and Celsius did not um, hold their word with him. And he just recently won the lawsuit. And I think the funniest part of it was there was a video circulating online. Um, moments after the verdict, he was thanking the jury and the judge while drinking a Celsius. So quite <laughs> ironic. He, he got something like 86 million. Wasn't it worth the, the, the value, the 1% of the stock that he got? Yeah, I had like 82 million. Yeah. Uh, it was something, some yeah, crazy it's, number. It's in the 80s. It, it, it was a lot of money, 1% oh, of the stock. Lord. That's hysterical. I mean, that's yes. yeah, and that's so the day the stock broke down, went from went from being a leader to a broken leader. Right. Yeah, they're probably worried he's just going to take it and sell it real quick. Yeah. So it's always need price and to match the fundamental story. So for now, I think stay away from this one. Um, the next one is PLNT. This is one that was acting good in the leisure services but some red flags have came to light 
Um, there's a guy named Edwin Dorsey. He runs like a bear cave newsletter and he does a lot of like good deep dives into companies and red flags. And he just recently published a report about Planet Fitness and there was a lot of red flags that he found in, in the business and the company. And what he uncovered was hundreds of consumer complaints that concern that was about fraudulent transactions, excessive fees, and uncancelable memberships. So I think what you know Planet Fitness bases their memberships around is it's probably one of the cheapest gym memberships around. It's like ten bucks a month. And what was happening is I think they pride them or they don't pride themselves, but they expect a lot of people to get the gym membership to forget about it and just to continue paying without even knowing. But people were trying to cancel their membership and they were unable to. Um, so this is like a lot of a lot of concerns with this business, and I think you'd want to stay away from it. Although on a technical standpoint, it's not looking horrible, but it was a very interesting report and um, a lot of red flags that he highlighted and dug deep into. Next one is Goldman Sachs. So financials were looking all right until uh, Goldman had a uh, horrible earnings there. Profits plunged 69% and their investment banking revenues were declining. And this is not a good sign for a growing economy. Um, this was their worst earnings miss in a decade and they, and they missed the Wall Street expectation by a very large margin. Um, and actually what recently just came out is now the Fed is looking at uh, Goldman's internal safeguards as it ramped consumer lending. This just came out like a couple minutes ago and it's taken another hit but when a stock is, you know, selling off on, on this high volume, it, it's never a good sign. Um, the timing the on that, is, uh, Connor. Yeah. It, I, look at that. Look at that drop just, just in up. the last. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not liking that news. Um, and then the next one is C-A-L-M. This is Calmain Foods. So they basically... They produce shell eggs and they distribute distribute it in the Southwest, Midwest, and Atlantic region. Um, so kind of something that we see like on an upside trade is when the stock gaps up, consolidates, and you look for a move higher. This is kind of the opposite scenario. It gapped down on above average volume, and now it's uh, coming up to test these moving averages, and it, it's forming a bear flag. I think the case with this one is, um, egg prices have just been on a crazy run and, and this company is, uh, they, this has benefited them greatly. Um, but I think it's, it's already getting priced in to an extent now. And when you look at their 2024 earnings estimates, it, it's a huge decline from the previous years. So as the market's forward looking, maybe, um, all of this, uh, earnings growth has been priced in and there's not a whole lot of upside left in this one. And then the last one is uh, YOU. This is clear secure. Um, when you travel, when you go through, um, you know, TSA pre-check and, and security, it, it's the it's the software that um, uses biometrics to automate the identify to automate the verification process. Um, this week, the stock was down ten percent on five times average volume. And it was lacking a lot of institutional sponsorship. So it's rebounding today, but I think whenever a stock's down double digits on above average volume, that that's a red flag. And that's, that's all I've got today. Those are just five stocks that look a little bit weak. And um, yeah. Was there any news on the 18th that caused that big uh, high volume sell-off? I know the market had a big reversal. Uh, yeah, Wednesday, I was... I couldn't find any news, so that's what I thought was interesting. I'm not sure if it was just based on the market or what, but I couldn't find any relevant things that, that explain why. And and one of the things we do as soon as we look at a stock is we multiply the average daily volume by the price. So you can see this is 1.1 million shares. It's a $27.50 uh, stock. Uh, which puts it just above the minimum threshold that we'll look at, which is 25 million. 
in daily dollar volume. The thinner you get on the stock, the less institutional support that it has, the wider the average true range will be, and you're really subjected to uh, big moves like this on any sort of negative news or negative market uh, action. Well, yeah, they could be. So we got five good. They could be manipulated, and the bid ask price. The, the lower the volume and the smaller the stock, the more prone they can be to manipulation too, as well. So we get five good ones from Ted, five uh, bad ones from Connor. Michael, you're the tiebreaker. What are you gonna uh, talk about? So yeah, to uh, for the tiebreaker, I've got I've got some good good ones. Um, like to look at um, stay optimistic and try to try to um, concentrate on the good names. Um, so what I'm looking at at the moment, um, and I have positions in um, in two of these, and I'm looking at um, getting back into um two of them um to start off is a ccj cameco it's a uranium company and um basically the story there is they produce about seven percent of the world's uranium they're they're the largest producer and um the bull thesis is an increasing global reliance on nuclear energy um with growing geopolitical uncertainty and uh, decarbonization targets um that's very supportive for uranium so i um I like the sector going forward and um and yeah i bought it off the 200 day moving average um low risk it was it was holding up there pretty tight um so so i thought um i've been following it for a while and and decided that um that would be my entry um another one i'm looking at don't have a position in this um but it's acting pretty well is slb schlumberger um and that's an oil services company they reported earnings today and the earnings were positive um, and they've increased their dividend. Um, it's been riding that eight EMA higher um, and it it's um, holding that breakout level. So we'll see if it can continue riding the trend, um, riding the trend higher. But now that earnings are out of the way, um, you've substantially reduced risk. So um, could could work, um, could fail. We'll We'll see how it plays out, but the um, overall services industry, as you can see there, it's the number one group at the moment, showing um, extreme relative strength. So um, as long as um, the sector continues to perform, uh, Schlumberger being uh, the the best in breed in, in that sector should um, should do well. Um, then the third is Pick. I have a position in Pick, and that's the um, the materials and basic metals miners, um, X Gold and Silver um so basically any i chose pick because it's got um all of the best names um in that etf um you've got um bhp billiton um rio valley uh just all all of the strongest names so i thought instead of just picking a name i like the sector a lot going forward um copper has been the best performing uh metal for a few months now and um it's it's at 52 week highs and um yeah just uh going forward um it's it's really a a, a secular trend there with um the the decarbonization as well electrification all of that's going to require materials that we just don't have enough of at the moment so um i like it a lot going forward this is a hopefully a, a multi-year long-term term play and i can sit and ride it um Bought it well. I bought it out off the um, around the 200-day moving average, so I've got a nice gain and and don't um don't plan on selling it. Hopefully, I don't need to um anytime soon. And then the last two are the home builders, um, LEN, Lennar, and DHI. And um, I mentioned the two of them specifically because um, I, if if I have a, a thesis on a sector, I like the um the strongest names. And um, I had been I, I was holding XHB for a little while. That's the home builder ETF. Um, I sold it um, last week because I just, it wouldn't really make sense heading into recession. There, there's a lot of risk um, in, in the housing market. And it would be very strange for um, DHI or Lennar to, um, even though they've been performing extremely well and they're um, some of the strongest names in the market, it wouldn't really make sense for them to be hitting. Um, all-time highs um heading into a potential recession so i just felt like um there is a, a bull thesis there long term in terms of supply shortages and um 
housing demand and family formations, but just the fact that they're near all-time highs, um, uh, it seems like a lot of that's priced in. So I, I sold them and was hoping for a pullback. It looks like we are getting that pullback. Um, I would love it if they pulled back to the um, to the 50-day, even the 200-day, and um, would like to see them start building a base again, and um, would definitely like to get back into them um, because I I see um, housing home builders um, being a, a a great a great sector going forward. Um, so those those are um, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm looking at. All right. Well, thank All you, right. Michael. I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical on the housing because I think interest rates are going to, you know, put a damper on things. I think it's cooling demand off, but you do have a shortage of supply. So we're going to have to see who wins the supply or the demand. All right, Don, what do you got? This is a, a year to date comparison chart of the five major indexes that we show in, in the nightly videos. And the thing that stands out to me is something completely contrary to what I thought we were gonna see this year. I was expecting outperformance from the Dow uh, because it's considered a more defensive sector. We've got the recession uh, coming at us according to all the genius economists. Uh, and we own this and got stopped out on it this week and you can see from the year-to-date returns, the Dow is actually negative, well, basically flat. S&P up 2.3%, NASDAQ 100, which has been the whipping boy of the indexes for a while, up 4.6%, mid-caps up 4.4%, and small-caps up 52 But what really got my, uh, really caught me by surprise, when you're, uh, when you're making progress or you're, well, first of all, let's go back to the thought that the Dow is defensive and um, my expectation was it was, was going to outperform. We also owned a dividend ETF. This one is up for the year, but barely. So you would think if uh, the, the market is going to be defensive, that uh, low volatility stocks would be acting uh, very well. This is SPLV, which is a low volatility ETF. It's down five percent on the, or down two percent on the year. Let's switch to high beta. Uh, you know that the Nasdaq has been disappointing. How about uh, SPHB, high beta? Look what this has done year to date, up nine and a half percent. So this seems to be a, uh, a little bit of a changing of the guard from the defensive sectors that had been acting better. And you really saw it this week with uh, staples year to date down 3.2%, utilities down 3% on the year, uh, real estate still up on the year, uh, but having a bit of a rough week, and uh, healthcare down 2% on the year. So staples, utilities, and healthcare, three of what would people would normally think to go to in a tough market that they're going to hold up better. These are being sold. And the theory that we batted around uh, internally is that this money is, could be going back into the S&P, uh, more growthy sectors. Let's look at XLK. Tech is up 4%. XLC communications up 9.8%. And, uh, XLY, consumer discretionary, up 6%. So it's flowing, money is flowing from the defensive sectors into the more high beta sectors. And, you know, this is the type of analysis that we do in here. We had a theory. The theory was that the Dow and dividends would outperform as we tried to recover. That's not what happened. We got stopped on the Dow. We've put that money into the S&P. We've put it into biotech. We've put it into the NASDAQ 100. Let's take a look at the biotech se sector, XBI. That's up 3.4% uh, year to date. So this again gets back to it's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to stay wrong. Uh, you can see the Dow Jones Industrial Average broke uh, a key moving average. It broke below the 21 and the 50 this week. 
And I know I'm not the only one that was caught by surprise off of this. A lot of uh, people that were defensively positioned in those quote unquote safe sectors, uh, they're not always safe. Take a look at Procter and Gamble uh, this week. That's a break from uh, 155 to 140 in uh, less than two weeks on big volume selling after they reported earnings. Procter and Gamble, you you think that it would be a low PE stock? They've got a PE of 25, and their 2023 growth rate is zero. Next year, it's eight percent. Even best case scenario, that's a that's a three peg ratio, price earnings to growth. Uh, that's not what you typically think of when you take a look at defensive sectors. You can see what the stochastics done, and you can see what relative strength is done. So. Analyzing the sectors and the leaders of these sectors and uh, assigning uh, sectors to the guys in-house is really helping us a lot to identify these types of trends. And uh, today, what we're watching is uh, we've had a harsh pullback. Uh, we've talked about it in the videos. Uh, this nonstop selling that happened on Wednesday, we're trying to recover some of it today. Yesterday, we had a close below the 21-day exponential moving average on the S&P, but we're reclaiming it and the 50-day today uh, as of 11.55 a.m. Eastern time. The NASDAQ 100 is up 1.4% and the S&P is up 0.8%. Uh, we've added back a little bit of the exposure that we took off uh, earlier this week and uh, we'll ride the trend wherever it goes. I know the market's been tough, but at, at, at some point, it's been proven throughout history, we will get a very nice, strong uptrend with leadership stocks acting well, and we'll participate in it. So um, that's our take on the market right now. Things, uh, I was very optimistic. As of 10.30 Eastern time uh, on Wednesday, um, we survived this nice gentle pullback, nice move up, and then we were up early. And then this, uh, again, this selling, it is what it is, only price pays. But we bottomed, I mentioned on the videos, the key area to hold was this uh, 3870-ish area. That's where we pulled back intraday yesterday. We held it overnight uh, and we're bouncing off of that today back above the key 3900 area. Uh, which was kind of the upper end of the range. So as uh, long as we stay above 3,900 in this week's lows, uh, I think we're in good shape to uh, increase exposure <laughs> on the market. All right. Thanks, Don. What, who, who's, what dog was that, Don? That is Michael's dog. Oh, that's Michael's. Yeah. Bella. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sprinkler people must be there. Yeah. Hey, uh, so so I wanted to clarify. I wanted to, 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 to add on to what Don said. So a lot of people feel like, and we did too, that the tech was really going to struggle and continue to struggle and value and dividend stocks would be the place to be along with possibly some bonds. Well, bonds seem to be the place to be, but value and dividend stocks and the conventional, the big stocks, they're actually not doing well. Mm. Value and dividend stocks are getting hit and are down, and actually the growth names are, are what's happening the past week or two. You wouldn't think that. that that's, that's counter to your emotion and your feelings, and that's why it's so important to actually look at the data and see what actually is happening while it's happening and make adjustments accordingly rather than try to prognosticate what you think is going to happen. So, you know, it's okay to be wrong. You just can't stay wrong and, and you'll get it wrong. Investing will come. You'll have mistakes. You'll have, you just want to have nicks and cuts. You just don't want to have, you know, get sever, sever the juggler. So you get a 30% drawdown and then it makes it very, it takes years to recover. So, all right, folks. Well, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to Revere, to ask them to go to revereasset.com. And up in the top right of our website, there's a, subscribe button and they can put in their name and their email. We won't reach out to them. We won't bug them. It's up to them to reach out to us and ask them if they want any a confidential uh, portfolio review, have a question of a stock. And, 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 and actually there's a contact us button next to the subscribe button where they can submit questions. You can also email us, any of us at Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, Ted, Michael, or Connor at revereasset.com. 
And you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a safe and happy weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on Your Money. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.